We are at uh, number five of our, our series on Just Walk Across the Room. Church, we're working at this um, from, from the point of view that uh, we, m- most of us know the Lord, we've walked with the Lord quite a while, the majority of us. It is, it is so very easy to, to get wrapped up <clears throat> in taking care of getting our emotional stuff healed in taking care of our babies, our preschool, our elementary age students, our teen students, and taking care of each other. If we have uh, the tragedy of divorce in our family to get healed from that, and it, on and on. They're just, there's a lot of stuff for us to do without ever looking outside. And we are really pretty good in some of those areas. Um, but the Lord said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now that last part is, it's, 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 it goes with the first part there, whoever believes, whoever does not believe. Um, and then we, re- we read in the words of Jesus also, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus worked from this premise. All mankind is lost. It is impossible to get to God on our own. We humans believe that it's up to us to work our way to God. We're just going to do better. We're going to treat mama better and uh, beat on our little siblings less and we're going, to, we're going to get to God. And that's called doing. But if you can visualize doing written across the page, put a diagonal line from, from this lower left corner to this upper right corner and put and then print done and that's the contrast we know there's no free lunch it's up to us to get there jesus said you don't go in without me i'm the door and so we read god so loved the world he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish eternal perishing is at stake here and so that that's why jesus came we have reduced this to to this phrase let's see how many of our circle of friends we can take to heaven with us i really do like that i that's simple enough for me to understand Let's just see how much of this bunch we can take. How many of these people we can take. And in the process of this, I want to remind you that the words of God's story carry weight. Romans 1 says, I, the Apostle Paul giving a part of his testimony says i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god gospel is just the good news it is the spoken word 
It is that which is presented so people can grasp it. It's not complicated uh, to grasp. It is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. You see, we want a righteousness from us, and most of us who know ourselves well enough know that's a bad joke. We are not righteous. And the scripture is very clear about the business of um, our heart being extremely wicked, deceitful, just lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. It'll lie to other people. Now, if you want me to pat you on the head and tell you what a wonderful person you are, my need for credibility is greater than that. You just got slapped, and some of you didn't know it. It's like, uh, I, I just want people to think that I tell the truth most of the time. I mean, if you don't think I tell the truth, why are you listening, you know? So I, I protect that. Therefore, I'm not going to tell you how wonderful you are. I'm going to tell you how wonderful Jesus is and how much God loves you and how you can get hooked up with him. That's what we have. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Then I want to remind you about 3D living. Develop friendships, discover stories. I got to back up. Develop friendships, that means partly to leave your circle of comfort. We love our, our comfort zones. Just, you know, this, I'm so comfortable. I, I, I love to get with people. Um, we like similar things. Um, we, we believe theologically similar things. We, uh, when it comes to, uh, political ideologies, we are similar. Those people are so comfortable. You don't have to guard what you say as much, you know, because, um, you just lay it out there and they agree with you. That's called the circle of comfort or the comfort zone. Uh, you need to walk across the room to the zone of the unknown and take the risk to make a friend. And if you just looked down at the floor when I said that or looked up here with disbelief that I would even think that about you, that you're ever going to do that, that's why we brought the car in case you can't walk across the room we got you a car that can fit in the room and you can drive across the room. <laughs> we must get out of the circle that is just all about ourselves and our comfort and get into the adventure of seeing what God will do with us and an unbeliever. Now, that's not very complicated. I didn't say it's easy. I said it's simple. And then when you get there, the second D in this 3D living is to discover their story. Discover their story before you tell your story and God's story of redemption. Discover their story. And then tune into the Holy Spirit 
so that you can discern what is the next step, what is God calling you to do right then and right there. So, to wrap up this series, I want to talk about a couple of things from Luke, the fifth chapter. The first one is the picture of shall we move into this grand scheme of things? Shall we move into large living or are we content to catch the little little fish? Luke, the uh, the fifth chapter, verse 1 says, One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking... He spoke to Simon, but I want, first of all, just to give you the picture here, the rabbis in Jesus' day sat to teach. So Jesus would be sitting. He'd be sitting on a bench, on a rock, or on the ground. And people would come around, and the ones in the back would be trying to get the ones in the front to sit down and so forth. Well, Jesus has this a crowd that's getting larger and larger, and they're pushing up to where he doesn't want to sit in the, in the mud. And so he, he uh, conscripts the services of this boat so that he can sit and teach the way he's supposed to a few feet from the crowd. And so they are there listening, and he's teaching. Now, he concludes that day's lesson... And then he turns to the owner of the boat who has probably had to make occasional adjustments with the oars to keep it in the right proximity to shore. And he says, I want you to, um, I want you to put your um, net into the water and catch the fish. Now, this is a commercial fisherman. He does this for a living. This is the way the man lives. So he says, uh, uh, we, we fished all night. And we don't fish in the daytime because you can't catch anything in the daytime with nets. We fished all night and didn't catch anything. But because you are who you are, I'll do what you say. And so he threw his nets out and caught this huge catch of fish in one throw. So many fish that when his partners came with another boat, the fish was sinking both boats. And they were struggling to get that up where they could save the fish. And Peter looked at that and realized that he had just seen this incredible miracle, larger miracle in some people's minds than the healing a blind man or a deaf person or a cripple. Because this is just an impossibility, as are those other things. But this was huge in this, in this guy's mind because he knew that part of the work, that part of the lake, he knew about catching fish. And he just fell to his knees and he says, uh, 
go away from me because I am ceremonially unclean. I'm, I'm a sinful man. I, don't touch me. You'll be contaminated if you touch me. And Jesus put this trip on him. I want you to leave these fish and go for the big fish. I'm going to make you a fisher for mankind. I'm going to make you a hunter of lost humans. Now, I want you to get the contrast. This was a huge catch of fish. But if, if you're satisfied with perch, I remember one time on a Royal Ranger outing in southern Oklahoma, springtime, and the fish were, were just right, just running. And so with the, I went out with the outpost of this uh, creek side, and we started catching these little old fish that are about not quite as big as my hand. And uh, we just uh, caught off their heads and cut out the dorsal fin and... Uh, and just fry the whole thing just like that, and you could just pretty much eat the whole thing. And eat right there on that creek bank, that was a lot of fun, and we, ate all, we caught a ton of little fish, and we ate them all. That was great for an outing. I don't want to do that for my life. Is there anything larger? Now, Peter was able to support his family and operate a successful business So it was much larger than the outing that I described in my personal experience. But he rose to the occasion because Jesus challenged him to be fishing for the big stuff. And if you can get in your mind, please, church, ask God to help you lock in to your head that people who do not come to Jesus are not going to spend eternity in heaven they they will not i know the world says all paths lead to god but you know my line about that of course all paths lead to god but not all paths lead to heaven we will all stand before god but we will not all go to heaven only through jesus christ and if you don't believe that then you've got serious problems with what the scripture says because the scripture in the words of jesus himself That is very, very clear. So please get that in your head. Get that in your heart. Are we going to do the creekside stuff with the perch? Are we going to go for the big stuff? The second thing I want want you to see in uh, Luke, the fifth chapter, is what Bill Hybels calls the Matthew party. Verse 27 and following says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not... Come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, I want you to see this picture. Jesus is uh, dealing here with a, a, a fabulous set of circumstances. And it is that this tax collector who was 
was not considered to be a good guy by the uh, just the ordinary run-of-the-mill Jew. He was collecting taxes for the Romans who were the occupiers. They, they kept occupation forces. These taxes paid for these forces to be there. And part of the taxation system of the Roman Empire was we tax the people we conquer so that the people at home don't have to turn their hand over. So it was the goal that the Romans would have, would not have anything to do, no work. It was not a good plan because we, we were made to work. Uh, I know some of you think that work is a curse, but work is not a curse. The ground was cursed because of sin so that it will bring forth both uh, grain, if you will, and weeds. The weeds were added there um, at the curse, but work was always a gift, and uh, I know you're tired, but it's still the truth. So these Romans uh, were supported by the Jewish taxes and all the, all the other nations that they, uh, the Romans conquered. So these guys, they had a system whereby um, there was so much money expected to be brought from this part of uh, the country and uh, anything above that that you collected was yours. So you can see it's kind of an open <laughs> invitation for just plain old thievery and uh, in the name of taxation. And I know that um, some of you think that's what the IRS stands for, but it, um, talk to your, your congressional person about that and be glad that some of the IRS salary money comes right into our lives here. So there. So we have a number of people who uh, collect taxes for the Romans. I mean... Um, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I do love you. I really do. Um, and I, it's, I remember when I was making not enough money to pay, worry about taxes, and, and I was listening to guys that were saying, oh, I hate taxes, and I'm having to pay all these taxes. And, and I said, uh, sign me up for some of that. I'll be glad to pay the taxes. Just put my salary up there where, where it's taxable. And I got up there, and I have tried to avoid complaining about taxes ever since because I opened my mouth, and it was a good thing to say, by the way. Uh, you don't need to complain about taxes. We don't feel sorry for you. You're just a wimp. The rest of us have to pay taxes too, so get over it. And that was in the love of the Lord. <clears throat> now, let me... Let me develop this with you like this. We have, as a part of Jesus' picture here, a party that was put together for a bunch of these semi-crooks. Maybe some of them were legitimate, bona fide crooks. But they were tax collectors. And, and the Pharisees who wore their righteousness on their sleeve and were... Uh, propagators of the idea that we're the most holy, we're the most righteous bunch, you just can't imagine how wonderful we really are. They, they came in also. So you have this where there ought to be the love of God being brought forth and, and the concern for lost humanity being uh, e exemplified, being manifest in the lives of these 
people that were supposed to be so religious. And then you've got these people over here that really do need somebody to help them and love them and, and maybe bring some healing. And Jesus got to watch this interaction. Now, Bill Hybels would say, and I'm quoting Bill Hybels because it was from his book that we took this theme, Just Walk Across the Room. It is a book by that title. You'll be blessed to read it. Um, Bill Hybels would say, this is what we must be doing. We must be setting up situations where lost people, people far from God, can be touched by people who love God with all their heart and know that they are loved by God and walk in the faith of the Son of God. He said, you've got to get them together. We've got to find these people that don't know Jesus and we've got to love them. That's, and he, he, he just thinks this party is just the greatest thing. A Matthew party means a party that was set up to expose unbelievers to God followers through Jesus Christ. That's what a Matthew party is. So put this in your little mind now. What is the deal in uh, your mind about a Matthew party? We have cookouts. We do things that are that are for uh, fun. We have pool parties and, and have all the youth over, or we have whatever, and we just have a great time together. And there's, what's, what's wrong with that? That's wonderful. But what about the lost people? Is anyone throwing a party to target them with the love of Jesus Christ? Now, I know that those of you who are sensitive are beginning to feel guilty. Some of you, your conscience is seared. It's like good luck. But pardon me for being, I, I'm... I'm in one of those moods today. It's like, don't mess with me, okay? Guilt is not what this is about. I would like for us to not be guilty. Guilty stuff is, is neurotic. It doesn't help us do anything well. What I would like to do is for us to see the need and the Holy Spirit just kind of gather us up and lift us up a level where not only would we set up times where Christians can be together and strengthen each other and, and, and be built up in faith and learn more about the Lord and just have fun. You know, it doesn't all have to be super discipleship stuff. But I also want us to add to that list this idea that we need to have Matthew parties. If you're going to throw two parties a year, half of them <laughs> ought to be a Matthew party. Does that make sense to you? I don't want this to be, I, I hate guilt. But the need is great, folks. And our circle will not go to heaven with us unless we step out. We have to go into all the world. You start in Jerusalem. You go to Judea and Samaria. You go then wherever is left, the ends of the earth. And that is 
the work of God and the will of God. And in those circumstances, we find that God will bring forth people and and it just blows your mind. Now, we, we have this uh, thing that's in the back of our mind that uh, we signed a pledge that we would try to bring one person to church every month for one year. One, bring one every one month period for this year. And so I don't, I don't hang out with a lot of lost people. I need a Matthew party, by the way. You see that? So the people that I, I don't really know maybe are the ones who wait on my table in a restaurant. Okay? Now, if you go in a restaurant and you're all wrapped up in your own little world and it's about you and you want the best service and you want to tip about for somewhere between 0 and 2%, maybe you're a big spender, 3%. If that's who you are, don't tell them you're a Christian, okay? (laughs) I like to go back to the same places where I have eaten before because they remember me, and it's not with a big fist that they remember me. It's with an open hand they remember me. Now, it costs me to do that. It costs me to get up out of my little circle of of myself and look at them and see how they are. And then when it comes time to pay the check, I have to get out of my little... and and go ahead and add an appropriate amount. My brother, the, the MD, when he was establishing residency so in Oklahoma so he could apply to Oklahoma University School of Medicine... Uh, had some income property, but he he needed a little more cash flow, so he waited tables at a kind of an upscale restaurant in Norman, Oklahoma. And um, so we, after he was a doctor and had practiced for years, we were we were together and spent several days just kind of burning up a a well, it was Santa Fe, New Mexico. If any of you've been there, you know it's kind of artsy and it's cool and. Uh, good restaurants, lots of Mexican food to die for. Hallelujah. And so I thought I was a generous tipper. I tipped 20%. And we were paying, we were going Dutch. So when we would pay, well, I would, I, you know, I with confidence would lay my 20% out there. And he'd say, oh, Bill, throw another dollar on there. You won't miss it, and it'll mean a lot to them. Now, how did he know that? <laughs> Uh, of course, you know how he knew that. He used to wait tables. And an extra dollar, one dollar, meant something to this guy that was not broke. He owned quite a bit of rental property and was getting ready to, to be in medical school. And I, that really impressed me. So I really like to do that. I like to do 20% plus a dollar. It's just like this is this is for fun, in the name of Ed, you know, because you used to wait tables, Ed newbie, here, and boy does that open doors when you go back in the same restaurant. There's a restaurant near here, and there is a 
non-alcoholic drink called an Arnie Palmer. And the people in this restaurant that I'm referencing just barely can't do English. So they didn't know Arnie Palmer. So I had to tell them how you make it. It's half tea, half lemonade. And uh, I've been in there a few times. And the other day I sat down and the person who was not waiting on me walked by and smiled and pointed at me and said, Arnie Palmer. <laughs> now, I like that smile. See, if he'd frowned and said Arnie Palmer, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. But you see... Now, that, that's a silly kind of way, except it's not silly at all, because if you close people's minds to Jesus Christ, did you hear what I just said? I can't have that said about me. Well, I would have come to the Lord except for newbie. I don't want to hear that. I don't, you know, and if it's not true, I just, not, I really don't want you to say it, but if it is true, I'm going to stand before God. And that's really scary. Now, I want you to stay with me because this is, this is a lot of fun. When we, when we start doing what God wants us to do, there are going to be some things that we can say and do that will turn people to Jesus Christ. There are certain things that are non-negotiable as we, as we seek to bring people to the Lord Jesus. One of them is that God loves them. The, the, new, the new atheism in the United States is saying that God is a moral monster. He's mean. And that's what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son a moral monster I don't think so the second thing that's non-negotiable is that Jesus Christ did all of the doing that needs to be done you cannot be good enough he already was good enough you can spend your life in doing but he chose to pay, and it is done. And then the third thing that's non-negotiable is it is their choice. The choice has to be made. God is not going to grab them by the hair of the head and jerk their head back and thrust this up their nostril. Not going to happen. He needs those of us who love him and love people to lay that out in a lifestyle and in in the words when when it is time so please walk with me one more time through this deal you walk across the room that just means make a friend it it, it could be stop in our neighborhood they have these mailboxes where there's about a dozen or however many um, separate mailboxes that serve the uh, houses up and down the street and we all have our own little post office box right there on the curb stop there say I don't have time I understand that and I, I don't want to hoot at you I just want to ask you to do something at the first of your day say Lord 
To whom do you want me to speak today? What are you doing in the lives of the people that I will encounter? What, what's going on? How can I be used by you? And then just watch. And if you have to schedule your day so that there really is no time to pause in between, then try to get some time at the end of the day so that you can have some flexibility to be used by God. That was good. That'll work. God loves people. He is trying to save them. And he has you, I believe, he has you in the job where you are. On purpose, you're on a mission. He's trying to save that circle. Jesus died for them. He's not mad at them. You know, we like to, we like to do this thing. God is mad at the wicked every day. That's right. That's the reason he gave his son. That's the reason Jesus died. And so what we need to do, dear one, is become flexible. And if you can't walk across the room, you know, here we get this car and drive across the room. The second thing is make a friend. Learn their story. Don't think you need to be a theologian and don't think you have to just cover them up with words. Well, what if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? Okay, try this. I don't know. But if it's important to you, I'll see if I can get you an answer. How would that be? I think I learned that with little kids at my house. These, these neat little people came and, and uh, said, they'll ask you all kinds of questions. And sometimes I just don't know what to tell them. But uh, the deal is people need the Lord. And they need to know that you care about them, that you care about their story before you ever tell them your story. I've watched myself in hospital rooms. Did you ever make a hospital call? Did you, did you notice that you told them all of your medical history and you were supposed to be fixing them? Yes, you did. You're just as bad as I am. It's terrible. I tried it the other day and just kept my mouth shut. Boy, was it a strain. But you see, that is an expression of love to give people the floor to let them tell you. And then this thing that is so powerful. It's called prayer. We were taught in the scripture to pray without ceasing. That ever challenge your intellect well among other things what it means is dialogue with God about every other breath especially when you're in contact with somebody who needs the Lord what are you saying what door are you going to open are you going to open a door please please remember this you do not have to be a soul winner you have to be a witness you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses a witness tells his story after you've learned the other story then you can tell your story 
you get it condensed down to where it's, uh, you, can, you can do it in a minute or two. Just tell your story. And if the Lord is opening the door, then you tell God's story. You do not have to win people to Jesus. Get over it. We want this gunslinger. We have this gunslinger mentality. We won this person to Jesus. We put a notch in the gun. Just love them. Just love them. Jesus had a really good chance to to witness to some people. They were nailing him to a cross. Instead, he just prayed for them. He said, well, somebody's got to lead him to Jesus. Ah, the Holy Spirit's way ahead of you on that. Loves them more than you, by the way. But if we can get out from under the guilt, we have to do this because if we don't, we're awful. Ask God to give you part of his heart. Then we need to get out from under the pressure that we have to lead them to Jesus. They've got to pray the sinner's prayer. We got to, used to be the four spiritual laws, remember? Wonderful way to talk about the Lord, but don't do that gunslinger stuff. Do the heart of God through Jesus Christ. And if you're just too scared to walk across the floor, drive. May we pray. Father, thank you because you have loved us.